Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. I do often think of you as one of mediocrity's worst enemies. The other ones are complete bullshit. It's the Radio J-Dub motherfucking Mother's Day Baseball Palooza. Talking baseball. From Maine to San Diego. Talking baseball. Mattingly and Conseco. Ken Griffey's grotesquely swollen jaw. Steve Sachs and his running with the law. We're talking Homer, Ozzy and the Straw. Why Mother's Day? Mother's Day gives us five weeks into the season, and now is when we start noticing what the storylines are that are going to drive us through the next five months of baseball season. We're going to see things that have happened, things that are going on right now, And more importantly, stuff you as a baseball fan are going to want to watch for. A lot of stuff in today's Baseball Palooza. We're going to talk about overrated and underrated players. Another installment in our award-winning Dodger Fact Series. An examination of when asshole worlds collide. We're going to take another look at the Kurt Schilling ESPN drama. I know JFI touched on that in one of his rants, but something a little bit more insidious is going on with this. We're going to break that down for you. Speaking of JFI, JFI's got an interesting discussion about how right now the two best teams in baseball might both be in the Windy City, but how the air might be coming out of one of them. He's a Cubs fan, so you can figure out which way he might go, but you just never know until you listen. So you're going to want to check that out. It's Baseball Palooza, but we still got a soccer talk. Don't worry, soccer haters. We're not actually going to talk about soccer. We're just going to talk about something that soccer does that baseball needs to adopt. Tales of gloom and despair. Is there anybody right now feeling more gloom and despair than fans of your New York Yankees? Probably not. Mr. Dubs' Neighborhood. Gonna learn you about the five basic types of baseball teams. You're gonna want to check that out. And last but not least, in the news, we're gonna go all Charles Dickens on your asses. We're gonna talk about the tale of two cities. Which two cities are we talking about? There's only one way to find out. Lots of stuff in this baseball palooza. So let's get this party started. Tell some stories.
And now, despite numerous requests, here's Johnny! One of the beauties of baseball is that enjoyment of that sport also allows for arguments which are objective or subjective. The objective stuff's easy. I like this guy because he hits the most home runs. I like this guy because he gives up the least runs. I like this guy because number, 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 number. Now, obviously, that goes too far with the, you know, the sabermetrics geeks and that sort of thing. But the real beauty is in the subjective stuff. We all know the numbers as baseball fans, but we also know there's guys that we just like. There's guys that we just don't like. And we don't give a fuck about the numbers with those guys. That's all what our gut tells us, what our heart tells us. See, that's the fun part. That's why you can get into interesting things like, gee, who's overrated, who's underrated? The underrated thing got a little bit more complicated than we imagined, and so that's why the underrated list is going to be coming out as a written article on dubsism.wordpress.com, the most interesting independent sports blog on the web, by the way. So we stuck, for terms of this podcast, we stuck to the overrated guys. There are a couple of caveats in this. When I say overrated, I don't mean that guy sucks. What I mean is he gets more credit than he deserves based on what he does on the field as opposed to what the media and, you know, what other talking piles of crap would have you believe. So with that, I'm just going to get to a list. I've got 10 guys here that I watch and I say, wow, people think way more of that guy than they really should. Number 10, pitcher from your Chicago Cubs, John Lester. Now, I can already hear the Cubs fans now, because they're all whipped up, because the Cubs are just stomping everybody right now, and they're really looking like a team that's got a got a playoff destiny coming, and we all know the magic number about how long it's been, and blah, blah, blah. So, I get that the Cubs are all about sensitivity, if anybody's going to start, you know, criticizing them a little bit. But so What? The fact remains is that you threw $100 million at John Lester, and he's not a $100 million pitcher. When he was a coveted free agent a couple of years ago, I, everybody who knows me heard me say, somebody's going to blow a lot of money on this dude. And lo and behold, it was the Cubs. And here's the thing. Again, I'm not saying the guy sucks. I'm just, he's not a first-class guy. You know, I mean, he got first-class money, and he's really flying coach. He's a, he's a C guy. He's a second, third starter in your rotation. And, you know, that's where he ended up because of the emergence of Jake Arrieta. But if that never happens, the Cubs would have gone into the playoffs last year with John Lester as their number one guy, and you can build an argument that they never make the playoffs if Lester is their number one guy because he only won 11 games for a team that won over 90. That's not a $100 million pitcher, no matter how you slice it. His career ERA, 3.55. It's not bad. But again, it's not first class. Number nine. Third base, Seattle Mariners, Kyle Seeger. 
this is another fan base going to break out their crayons and write me some hate mail because they're all going to tell me about what a budding young talent Kyle Seeger is. Nah, okay, I'll buy budding talent, but at 28, the uh, the young label's got a serious expiration date, not to mention. If we want to talk about budding talent, you look at this guy's 162-game average, and he's a 20-home run 80-RBI guy. That's it. That's not budding superstar. He's also never hit better than 267 in his career. Again, that's not superstar number. In fact, the fun thing about Kyle Seager is that if you go to BaseballReference.com and you look for players to compare him to, the name that's going to come up is Tim Wallach. Was Tim Wallach a superstar? Number eight, pitcher, San Diego Padres, James Shields. You remember when James Shields got the nickname Big Game James? Did you ever wonder why he got that moniker? I sure as fuck did. Okay, Big Game James. Got 11 postseason starts in his career. In those 11 postseason starts, he has a 5.46 ERA, a 3-6 one-loss record, and only twice in his career has he even made the Cy Young ballot. Doesn't sound like a big game pitcher to me, but it's not like it matters because as long as he's pitching for the Padres, being in big games is not going to be a concern. Number seven, first base slash designated hitter, Texas Rangers, Prince Fielder. Now, I know he had an injury issue and he had the neck surgery, but before he got to Texas, this guy was a 40 homer, 120 RBI guy. Last year, he hit just 23 homers, and only 14 were in the month not called May. Know what I think his problem is? I think his problem is he's a big, fat guy, and big, fat guys tend to have career issues once their age starts with a number three. Number six, outfielder, Chicago White Sox, Melky Cabrera. This guy's been everywhere. He's been a Yankee. He's been a Giant. He's been a Blue Jay. He's been a this. He's been a that. I think he might have once played for the Nippon Ham Fighters in the Japanese League. He's been everywhere. He's also been on the PED list, but that's another story. When Melky Cabrera started with the Yankees, he got a lot more credit than he was due for what kind of player he was. Now, that's a common problem with the Yankees, but when you start there and then move around the league, once you got a label, the label sticks with you. In other words, Melky Cabrera has been overrated his whole life. A lot of people think he's a big power hitter. A lot of people think that he is a first-rate defensive outfielder. He's neither. What he is is an average speed guy with an average glove who hits a lot of doubles. That's it. Now, you put him on a team where he doesn't have to be a leader, and he's a contributor. But when you put him on a team with flaws like the White Sox, and all of a sudden you're going to start seeing why JFI thinks that the air is going to come out of that team, and, you know, be that as it may, you'll hear his rant later on in this podcast. Number five, pitcher, Washington Nationals, Steven Strasburg. And here's a guy whose whole career has been defined by his agent demanding the number of pitches he can throw in a game, his agent determining when and when he can't pitch, his agent wanting him to be in certain spots in the rotation, all while the guy's whole existence between the lines is about when does he get hurt, 
When does he recover from that injury? When does he set himself up for the second injury? When does he go on the disabled list? When does he come off the disabled list? And in between all of that, he has a couple of starts that make you think, oh my God, there's the flashes of brilliance we've been waiting for. Unfortunately, they don't come often enough, nor do they come in streaks. That's Steven Strasburg. This guy's going to come up for free agency, and I pray to God that a team that I like doesn't give him a lot of money, because I think he's setting himself up to be like an even bigger money version of John Lester. Oh, by the way, did anybody notice that throughout Strasburg's career, injuries or not, he's never been the best guy in their rotation? There has always been a Jordan Zimmerman, a Gio Gonzalez, now Max Serzer. Number four. Third baseman, Chicago White Sox, Todd Frazier. If you want to see something fun with Todd Frazier's statistics, watch him after the All-Star game, because it's down goes Frazier, down goes Frazier. Just look at last year. Hit a ton before he walked off with the home run derby title. Died after that. This guy has a history of folding in August. Little problem. That's when you get into pennant races. You don't win pennants in June. You win them in September. You win them in October. Todd Frazier's usually not around then. This is another problem that I've got with the White Sox. They're going to depend on Todd Frazier come come the time when the leaves are changing, and he ain't going to be there. Number three, pitcher, Detroit Tigers, Justin Verlander. Here's another guy that five years ago was a world beater. And I think that there's a distinct moment in time where the veil of invincibility came off of him and he's never been the same since. And that was the World Series game in Detroit where he got outpitched by the aging wonder in Barry Zito. Ever since then, Justin Verlander's career has been on a slow slide to mediocrity. He's only 28 and 24 in his last two seasons. And he's getting $28 million this year. That's a million dollars for each win in the last two years. It's not a bad paycheck if you can get it. Speaking of getting it, okay, average guys, let's be honest with each other. If you're Justin Verlander and you've got the option of spending your time putting an extra inch on your curveball or titty-banging Kate Upton, what you picking? Exactly. Number two, currently injured, but sometimes third baseman for the Boston Red Sox, Pablo Sandoval. Kind of hit on this uh, with the Prince Fielder issue. Now, Pablo Sandoval's age does not yet start with the three, but he is at 29 and holding. He's also at about 290 pounds. Saw that game in Toronto where his belt exploded. And then right after that, all of a sudden, we had a shoulder injury that is probably going to end his season. I have a feeling that that injury is also going to be how the Red Sox are going to void his contract if they were smart and put an insurance claim on it. But the fun part about Sandoval, at least at one point, Prince Fielder was a genuinely feared slugger in in baseball. Pablo Sandoval has been living off a couple of bright flashes. He had an interesting rookie year, and then he had that big uh, three-home run game in the World Series against the Tigers. Other than that, never driven in 100 runs. Never hit 30 homers. Never scored 100 runs. Again, it's another big fat guy. Not to mention, I got a personal beef with Sandoval because 
you know, I got a soft spot for the Giants since I'm a Dodger hater, and I watch a lot of Giants baseball. And when he first came up, the Giants fans did nothing but heap adulation on him. They loved him. And when he left town, all he did was say shitty things about San Francisco, so he can go eat a big bag of dicks. Lord knows he looks like he's eating a big bag of something. And now, for your dubsism, number one overrated guy right now in Major League Baseball, the envelope please. Los Angeles Dodgers outfielder Yasiel Puig. Okay, I just said that I have a soft spot for the Giants because I hate the Dodgers, and so a lot of Dodger fans are going to start sending me, yo, you're just biased shit. Yeah, go look at Yasiel Puig's fucking career numbers. That's all I'm going to say. You start out with a high point in his rookie year of 2013, and it's been a ski ramp ever since. All right? Let me tell you what Yasiel Puig is. He's a shitload of talent in an amazing athletic body that doesn't perform. If he were an NBA player, he'd be Blake Griffin. He's a highlight once in a while. He's a big play every once in a while. But day in and day out, he's fundamentally flawed. Not to mention, I think he might be a bit of a cement head. segment because I know that just the mere mention of the name Kurt Schilling is going to fill up my mailbox with a bunch of bullshit from pointy heads who think I give a fuck what they think. And I got to talk about how fucking dumb ESPN is, and well, that's been done. Not too long ago, JFI uh, in one of his uh, Sports Machine segments talked about ESPN's firing of Kurt Schilling, and while I'm not going to rehash what he said There was another incident in this little saga that I think is far more insidious and didn't get as much attention as I thought it deserved. We all know the story. Kurt Schilling got fired by ESPN because ESPN is the home of political correctness and Kurt Schilling tweeted out something about the whole transgender issue. And whether you agree with that, disagree with that, whatever... It's not the point. And, and don't be the guy that writes me the shit about he's got the right to say it. Da, 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 da. You, go back and listen to JFI's segment and write him the hate mail if you want to have that conversation. I'm here to talk about something a little different. A couple of days ago, ESPN's running a live sporting event as they are prone to do. And I, I can't remember. I think it was women's soccer. I, I know it was one of those things that nobody ever fucking watches. ESPN's full of that stuff now. But... 
after the live sporting event, they were scheduled to run the 30 for 30 about the Red Sox and their comeback in the American League Championship Series against the Yankees. It's a great story. Problem. Sporting event runs long. So what do they do? Normal situations, you would just cut off some of the taped show, get your network back on schedule for Sports Center at whatever p.m. Problem solved. Now, normally the way you do that is you just join the show in progress. If you ran 27 minutes long, just join your next program at minute 27. Problem solved. But ESPN didn't do that. What they did is they took the story about that 2004 championship game and they completely cut out the segment that involves game six. That's the bloody sock game. That's the Kurt Schilling pitching performance that propels that series into the classic game seven that we got. And I went, wait a minute. How the hell can you tell that story and cut out game six? That's like telling that's like telling the story of World War II and cutting out Pearl Harbor. And don't be the guy that says I just compared Kurt Schilling to World War II because I'm not. I'm making an analogy. The point is, ESPN wants to be butthurt over Kurt Schilling. That's fine. But you can't cut him out of history. All right? Game six of that championship series was the pivotal fucking moment. It was the seminal moment with the, we made the icon with the bloody sock. You can't just cut that out and pretend like it never happened. And you know that's exactly what they did because they came out with a bullshit excuse later for why they did that. They said shit like, well, normally when the live event goes long, we'll trim a segment out of the taped program behind it so that we can fit everything back on schedule. Yeah, except it takes production time to do that. You were coming on after a live sporting event that you did not know was going to run long, and even if you did know it was going to run long, you didn't know how long it was going to be. You cut Kurt Schilling out of that 30 for 30 fucking deliberately, and that is why, in a world of assholes, ESPN is the star. You know, you really are an asshole. Why don't you just shut up and sing this song, pal? I'm an Say D, I say D-O, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, the team that's all heart, all heart and all thumbs, they're my Los Angeles, your Los Angeles, our Los Angeles. Hey, kiss him goodbye, it is gone. Oh, I thought he hit the other one hard. That one's in Milwaukee. What the fuck you think is my opinion of it? I think it was fucking horseshit. Jesus Christ, he beat us with three fucking home runs. Jesus Christ. Ended the last segment on a mention of your Los Angeles Dodgers, and of course, this segment. All about your Los Angeles Dodgers. 
If you've noticed, the Dodgers are drawing huge crowds at home these days. And there's a reason for that. If you live in Southern California right now, odds are very good that if you want to see the Dodgers, you have to go to the ballpark because they are not available on your cable package. That's right, the Los Angeles Dodgers, one of the favorite sporting sons of the second largest media market in the country, are unavailable to almost two out of three potential TV viewers in that market. Yeah, let that sink in for a moment. Why is this? This is because when the current ownership group negotiated their billions of dollars TV deal, they forgot to dot the I's and cross the T's on some stuff. And long story short, what it boils down to is there are cable providers that do not want to pay the fees to carry the channel, which shows you Dodger baseball. See, this is where all the billions of dollars come from, is that the Dodgers charge somebody to carry the package, and then the package provider sticks it to your internet service provider or your cable provider. In this case... The people who don't want to pay up are Comcast, and Comcast isn't the only one involved in this. And we could get into all kinds of business entities and relationships and financing and contractual law and all this other bullshit, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Here's why. Because what the Dodgers are doing is they're sitting back and they're trying to let everybody else think that this is two TV providers fighting with each other. And while, yeah, it is, at the end of the day... It's the Dodgers product that's not getting to market here. Okay, their whole premise of getting billions of dollars for the rights to broadcast Dodger games is that so you can sell advertising. Well, guess what? Advertising doesn't work if nobody can see the fucking games in the first place. That's why the Dodgers got to get out in front of this. And they got to say, hey, fix this shit and get the games back on television. Here's why this is so stupid. This is the analogy. Let's say you own a McDonald's and the city comes along and tears up the street in front of your restaurant so that nobody can get in and out anymore. Nobody can get to your place to buy hamburger number one. And you look at your restaurant and you go, well, those guys can't get any hamburgers, but I got all the hamburgers in the world. I don't have a problem. That's why they are the Los Angeles Dodgers. The same team that fucked up a pure pork sausage now can't figure out that hamburgers are no good unless you can actually sell them. We'll really win the pennant. Time for Soccer for Americans, where we take the prime rib of world football and turn it into something squished, fried, and slapped on a bun. Hazard in the box, shoots into the net. Brilliant from Harry Kane. What a header from Wayne Rooney. And it's tapped in by Sergio Aguero. And Coutinho scores. Sanchez scores. Chelsea are champions. Had a lot of ongoing discussions here at Dubsism World Headquarters about how can baseball 
overtake football to become the most popular sport in America again. And a lot of people will say, well, that's not going to happen because the NFL is so big and so popular and blah, blah, blah. The NFL is slowly killing itself, and people who don't want to admit that are just deniers. Baseball is monstrously popular in this country, and regionally, it it dominates in, in some places. California is one. This is... We talked earlier about uh, the Dodgers and their TV deal. Well, it was worth $3 billion. Can't tell me baseball ain't popular. So, why are we talking about this in a segment that is billboarded as being about soccer? One of the things that baseball could do, make tremendous amounts of money and broaden its appeal, is to introduce the idea of promotion and relegation. You see, baseball is architected much like the European soccer leagues are. You have multiple layers of leagues based on size of market and talent, and teams that perform can get promoted up that chain of leagues. Likewise, teams that do not perform get relegated down that chain of leagues. Baseball is so suited to this, and there's so many upsides for doing it. The first and most obvious is that it would concentrate the quality of the product of top league baseball. Right now, Major League Baseball is 30 clubs, and that's 10 too many. Let's be honest. There are at least 10 clubs in Major League Baseball right now that suck. And they suck because they're basically AAA teams competing at the Major League level. Thanks to my regional cable sports package, I see way more of the Cincinnati Reds than I want to see. You know why? Because they're a AAA team. They don't, do, they, they don't belong playing you know teams like the Cubs and the Nationals right now. They belong playing teams like the Louisville Bats. How does that help Major League Baseball? It helps because now all of a sudden you can schedule teams playing other quality teams far more often. You can also shorten the regular season so that you can have more playoff games at the end, and those are the ones that really draw the money in the TV. Well, then the question becomes, well, how does this help the teams that get relegated down the league chain? Well, one, it gives them a reason to compete. I know the Royals just won the World Series, but we also can't forget that the Royals spent about 25 years in between those World Series wins being dreadful. Look at what's happening with the Reds right now. The Reds were a playoff contender five years ago. They've been in a slow descent to shitty the Cubs. Yeah, the Cubs are good the last couple of years, and the Cubs were a team that made the playoffs once every 15 years or so. There's a lot of years when the Cubs were really, really bad, and it was tough to watch Cubs baseball. This takes care of that. Then the issue becomes, what do you do with teams that get relegated? They, they, play, they play a small schedule. They play the smaller league schedule. There's a financial penalty for doing so. There's, there's all these incentives for not getting set down. But eventually, everything levels out. You know, if, if you are the Cincinnati Reds and you've decided that you're just going to be a AAA team, it's very easy to stay at the AAA level. But let's talk about some advantages. If we no longer have one cadre of Major League Baseball owners that control the top level of baseball, there's no reason why a guy like Mark Cuban... And I mentioned Mark Cuban for a reason, because we must not ever forget that Mark Cuban was denied the opportunity to buy the Chicago Cubs not long ago. He was also denied the opportunity to buy the Los Angeles Dodgers. Major League Baseball installed a joker like Frank McCord as the owner, and we all know how that turned out. 
under promotion and relegation with opening up professional baseball into one giant organization. That means Mark Cuban could conceivably go by the Oklahoma City AAA team and decide he wants to make it a major league team. You know, okay, I'm going to build a 40,000-seat stadium. He's got the money to do it. I'm going to go and just start paying players to come here and play. He's got the money to do it. Might take two years, might take three years, but all of a sudden, Oklahoma City's a major league club. This happens in European soccer all the time. You look at the story of what just happened this past season with Leicester. Second league five years ago. Almost relegated last year. Champions this year. And what does that do for you? It takes a small industrial town in the British Midlands and puts it on the stage of primetime world football. You can make those David and Goliath stories happen in baseball. Like I said, baseball right now run by 50 guys who got a lot of money. Well, why not have 200 guys? Why not have 300 guys? If you gave a guy with a lot of money and you let him develop his hometown team, you know what happens to the quality of the minor leagues? Gets way better. The New York Yankees got no real interest in making their double-A team any good, wherever that is. But if you have a guy that owns that team that wants to make money at, at the gate and wants to have his team on the local television station, he's going to make that team pretty good. Now I understand that this idea is going to require us to rethink how we do minor league affiliations and and you know and and the entry draft and stuff like that. It's been working in European football for a hundred years. Baseball worked for a hundred years without a draft. There's ways to figure this stuff out. The key point here is, if you had promotion and relegation four or five leagues deep in baseball, you would improve the quality of the major league product. You are going to improve the quality of the minor league product. You're going to generate shitloads more money in terms of ad revenue because, let's be honest, the big leagues right now are showing me a lot of Brewers and Reds games on my cable package, but if you put a double-A team in my hometown and put it on the local public access channel, I'll tune in and watch. I'll go down and watch ball games. Baseball's popular. People will go watch baseball. People love things at a local level, and if, hey, my local team gets an owner that's got a lot of money, starts moving that team up the food chain, that's just good for business. The rising tide that lifts all boats can certainly lift the lumbering barge that is baseball. Marahino shooting and scoring for West Brom! Sacco scores yet again! He says that! Trademark Peter Crouch! The full-time whistle has blown! That is a quite stunning result! I'll tell you one fucking thing. I hope we get fucking hotter than shit just to stuff it up them 3,000 fucking people that show up every fucking day. Because if they're the real Chicago fucking fans, they can kiss my fucking ass right downtown and print it. They're really, really behind you around here. My fucking ass. What the, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Go out there and let my fucking players get destroyed every day and be quiet about it for the fucking nickel-dime people that show up? The motherfuckers don't even work. That's why they're out at the fucking game. They only go out and get a fucking job and find out what it's like to go out there and earn a fucking living. 85% of the fucking world's working. The other 15 come out here. The fucking playground for the cocksuckers. Rip them motherfuckers. Rip them cocksuckers like the fucking players. Got guys busting their fucking ass and them fucking people boo. And that's the Cubs? My fucking ass.
You are engaging the JFI sports machine. Continue listening at your own risk. record in baseball, White Sox not too far behind, both teams in first place, and it has people dreaming of an all-Chicago World Series. Well, of course, Cubs fans would love any World Series against anybody, and a Cubs-White Sox series would be great, but I'm thinking the White Sox are going to fade, and I don't think the Cubs will, and yes, I'm a Homer Cubs fan, but I don't hate the Sox. I'm, I, I think that's more of an actual city of Chicago thing. My main rivalry for the Cubs is St. Louis. So I'm trying to look at this objectively. If you compare the two rosters, of course, the Cubs came into the, ser- into the season as the prohibitive favorites to win the National League and go to the World Series. White Sox didn't have really high expectations. Now, you look at their roster, uh, Chris Sale is outstanding, and he's been outstanding pretty much his whole career. Uh, You've got Matt Latos. Eh. He's pitching lights out now, but I remember Matt Latos with the Padres, with the Reds, with the Marlins. I'm thinking that he's going to end up being what the back of his baseball card says he is, which is an average pitcher. Offensively, White Sox have a couple of really good players. Uh, Jose Abreu is a stud. Todd Frazier's a good player. I'm not sure they have enough complementary players around them for those guys to carry a team. Whereas if you look at the Cubs, they're very deep. Uh, Pitching-wise, Jake Arrieta, for my money, is the best pitcher in baseball right now. In the last, his last 25 starts, he has more no-hitters, two, than losses, one, and that one loss was when his team got no hit by Cole Hamels. And I don't put a lot of stock into wins and losses for pitchers, but it's not like Jake Arrieta has gone out and given up six runs and the Cubs scored eight and he got a win for it. He's been dominant for a calendar year now. Uh, And then you've got John Lester backing him up. They signed Lackey to be their third guy, which... I think was a good move. I know uh, some other people here at Dubsism may disagree, but for to slot him in in that three-hole, I think is exactly what the Cubs needed. And the Cubs are scoring runs. It, don't forget, they lost Kyle Schwarber the first week of the year. They're deep. Their bench has stepped up. They've mixed and matched. Their run differential right now, which is one of the few New Age stats that I do kind of look at, I'm not a huge fan of sabermetrics, and nobody else here at Dubsism really is either. There are a few stats that I like, but run differential usually tells you a lot. Now, maybe not in May, but if I look at last year's run differential, here is the, how the teams ranked. Toronto, St. Louis, Houston, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, 
Cubs, Dodgers, Mets. What did all those teams have in common? They all made the playoffs. And the Cubs are killing run differential right now. They're at plus 96. And the White Sox are not doing bad themselves. They're in the 20s. But I think that the Cubs, with their depth, with the experience they got last year going to that NLCS, a little bit better equipped. And I also like their manager a lot better. Uh, Don't really think much of Robin Ventura as a manager. I'm not saying he's uh, Dusty Baker or Matt Williams category, but I don't think he's anything special. I think Joe Madden is. I think he's the perfect guy for this Cubs team right now, the young mix of the young guys. Uh, they respond to him. Uh, he handles the media well in Chicago. And I'm guessing that the Cubs will be the team that are standing at the end. Now, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. I just don't know if the White Sox have the horses. Now, again, I will say for, what, the third or fourth time, it's May. So... There's a lot of deals to be made. There could be call-ups. You never know. This is baseball. This is why baseball is great. I can look at the NFL and right now probably give you six of the eight playoff teams. It's going to be New England. It's going to be Seattle. It's going to be Pittsburgh. It's the same group of guys over and over again. They talk about parity, whereas baseball, (laughs) I can't sit here and tell you what's going to happen come October. And without even talking about injuries, yes, injuries can happen, but, you know, look at the teams that are on, like like the White Sox. Nobody expected a lot out of the White Sox. They're hanging in there. And again, I'm not saying the White Sox stink. They may even make a wild card, but they also play in a hard division, and I know that the Cubs do too, but at least for the first month and a week or whatever it is of the season, the Cubs have looked like the best team in baseball that their record says they are. Uh, The White Sox will have to contend with the defending world champion Royals. The Tigers are started off pretty well now, too. Now, you do have the Twins at the bottom, but the White Sox maybe could contend for a wild card. Maybe, maybe not. Again, I don't think they have the pitching. I don't think they have the depth on the roster. I don't think they have enough offense to sustain what they've been doing. But, I've been wrong before, time will tell. The opinions expressed by the JFI Sports Machine are those exclusively of JFI and do not necessarily reflect those of Radio J-Dub, Dubsism, Major League Fishing, the National Socialist Party, or anybody else whose building you might want to burn down. You can reach JFI at jfisports1 at gmail.com or at J.B. Hickle on Twitter. If you did not understand this, it's not my fault. You are a moron.
If you are a listener of this podcast or a reader of the blog from Whence It Comes, the most interesting independent sports blog on the web, dubsism.wordpress.com, you know that I am not just a baseball fan. My sports interests literally span the globe. That's why the non-baseball fan in me takes a little bit of pity on the New York Yankees and their fans right now. I'm a Lakers fan when it comes to basketball. I understand what it's like when your dynasty's crumbling. Having said that, the baseball fan in me looks at Yankees fans and only really has this to say. Uh, hey, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fuck you in the ass. But seriously, it's got to be rough to be a Yankees fan right now. I mean, you stop and think about it. What are the last three, four years of Yankee fandom been? You first lived through the whole Alex Rodriguez thing. Now, if you're one of those emotional roller coaster people that loved Alex Rodriguez when he was hitting 40 home runs a season and then hated Alex Rodriguez when he was a steroid user and then really hated Alex Rodriguez when he was suing everybody and, and you know, serving suspensions and, you know, all that sort of shit. And then when he came back to hit 30 home runs last year, you went back to loving him and now he's hurt and the team sucks and everybody else is getting hurt and everything's falling apart. And just this week, General Manager Brian Cashman basically intimated that the open for business sign is going up real soon. The Yankee fire sale is coming, and that's got to be where Yankees fans really feel the gloom and despair. Because right now, if you look at that team, you've got some young talent, you've got some old big money dudes, and not much else. There's not a healthy crop down on the farm if you're a Yankee fan. There's not an endless supply of talent coming into that organization. The best you got right now is what you see on the field every day at Yankee Stadium. You went out and spent money on those big three closers. Bet you two of them are gone by the trade deadline. Alex Rodriguez, you're trying to get out from under his contract? How hurt is he? CeCe Sabathia, here's another guy, gave you some great seasons, and then last season it all fell apart. Mark Teixeira, what do you do with him? Another big money guy. You can make the argument one of the best players the Yankees have. Brett Gardner, he looks like he might be trade bait. Starlin Castro, just inked him. What are you going to do with him? Don't know. This never used to be the case for Yankees fans. Yankees fans used to basically treat the rest of the league like a supermarket. Like, oh, well, we've got everything. What's the missing piece we need? Oh, let's just go out and trade for that. Let's just go out and buy that. Those days are over. And if you're a New York Yankee fan, you might want to come to terms with this. Because much like the Los Angeles Lakers, I don't think that your days of gloom and despair are going to be over anytime soon. Come off my
a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Fuck you! It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Fuck you! I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. Fuck, we have. Mr. Dubs's neighborhood where you learn more by accident than other places by design. Today, we're here to teach you about the five basic types of baseball teams, and this is stuff that nobody else is going to tell you. Now, as we go through this list, understand that this is not a ranking, it's merely a classification system. And while we look at teams right now in order to classify them, understand that this is all about a full season. We're not just looking at what's happened in the last five weeks and said, yeah, this team belongs in this bucket. We've looked at all sorts of factors. Yes, what they have done in the last five weeks of the season is a factor. Also, the team makeup, the situations that they're in in terms of their scheduling and what division and blah, blah, blah. What they've done in the past. How's their front office do? What's their managerial situation like? In other words, it's a wide-ranging, all-encompassing look. That's why you're going to see some things on this list that you might not agree with, and you might wonder why we said them based on what we've already seen. To make a long story short, this isn't about, hey, they're just going to do this based on what we've seen in the last five weeks. Now, this team is going to do this over the next 20 weeks because, insert factor here. And also, since there's five categories, and I obviously have to list them in some sort of order, understand that it's not really an A, B, C, D, F type system, although this is based on teams' ability to win from the top down. If your team is in a group lower than you think it is, understand that it's not a higher-lower system. It's a system of, here's what your team's got right now, deal with it. So, having said that, let's just start this list. Category number one, or what we call wrens. Not the little bird, but actually all of these names are acronyms. And in this case, wren is a cheap military-style acronym for winning ready right now. And there's only four teams in this group. And this is why I laid out the big intro setting this up, because I'm going to list these four teams, and I can already think of fans of at least four other teams who are going to sharpen up their crayons and tell me that their team is winning ready right now, and then all I will have to do is say, no, it isn't, here's why. Now, who are the four teams that are winning ready right now? Again, no particular order. The Kansas City Royals the New York Mets, the Washington Nationals, and the San Francisco Giants. Why are they winning ready right now? Because all of them are really about the most complete teams you can imagine. And again, 
People are right now going to sharpen up their crayons and say, how can I say this about the Giants when they got fucking destroyed by the Colorado Rockies a couple of nights ago? I said, well, this is not all about how they're playing right now. This is all about what they're going to do over the next 20 weeks. You can say what you want to about the Giants, but the Giants have one problem and it's very, very solvable. The only problem the Giants have is the back of their rotation sucks. Matt Cain, I don't think he's healthy. Jake Peavy, I think it's over. Deal with that. You got kids on the farm. Other than that, you've got three of the best starters in the National League. You've got a killer bullpen. You've got a lineup that looks like it's going to hit the shit out of the ball. Brandon Belt is starting to look like the $75 million slugger that we all thought he was going to be. Giants are real fucking good. Not to mention, the Giants have an advantage in the fact that I don't think anybody in their division is going to chase them. The Dodgers. The Dodgers are a tire fire waiting to happen. The Diamondbacks? Nah. I mean... If everything in the world goes right for them, they're still a 500 club. I don't buy them. Then there's the Rockies and the Padres. They're non-factors. When you talk about the Nationals and the Mets, again, great rotations, solid bullpens. The Nationals have an advantage with their lineup, but the Mets can hit. The Mets can hit well enough because they have the best pitching. The only problem that the Mets have, Matt Harvey, somebody's got to figure him out. Is he a, a budding superstar or is he in just, you know, blue Strasburg? And there's the Royals. And everybody's like, well, but the Royals lost Johnny Cueto. Don't forget that the Royals climbed that mountain largely without him. He was huge in the postseason and down the stretch, but they got in that position without him. They'll be just fine. Next category, Nagotis. What's a Nagoti? A Nagoti is a team that needs everything going their way. In no particular order. The Nagotis are the Seattle Mariners, the Texas Rangers, the St. Louis Cardinals, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Chicago White Sox, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Chicago Cubs. There's a reason why I mentioned the Blue Jays and the Cubs last. We'll come back to that later. But if you look at the teams in this list, these are all teams that can be contenders, or, in a couple of examples, really should be contenders. Look at the Mariners. Mariners, ton of young talent in a division that's wide open. Rangers, again, ton of talent, divisions wide open. If they get healthy and stay healthy... They could easily be a team that is a winning, ready-right-now status. The Cubs, the Cardinals, and the Pirates. All variously good in their own ways. The Cubs have a lineup that's going to score a shitload of runs. The Pirates, they got talent, they got pitching, they got a little bit of everything. They're not quite as good as the Cubs. The Cardinals, again, they got a little bit of everything, plus they're the fucking Cardinals. I mean, that team won almost 100 games last year. What more do you want? Now, that fact for those three teams is why they are not winning ready right now, because they all have little flaws, but they're all going to spend all season beating the crap out of each other. Now, the Washington Nationals and the Mets are going to kind of do that to each other, but the Nationals and the Mets are also more complete than any of those teams are. 
the White Sox. Well, the White Sox are hot right now. They are in a division where there's really only the Royals to deal with. So if everything goes their way, they can limp into the playoffs. I don't think it's going to happen. I think there are a lot of smoke and mirrors, and I think that they're going to be exposed somewhere after the All-Star break, but my crystal ball isn't any better than yours. Dodgers could either be a tire fire or they could be a contender. I don't know which. They have a very Cubs-like pitching staff in the sense that they have a dominant number one and then a bunch of B and C students. Their bullpen, you don't really know what to make of their bullpen. I mean, (laughs) Dodger fact a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the Dodgers are working out Sam LeCure. If you're a Reds fan, you know what that means. The Blue Jays are kind of like the Dodgers, and it's funny that we're doing this. They're playing each other this weekend. In fact, the Dodgers, the Cubs, and the Blue Jays all kind of look like each other. You know, the Cubs have a way better lineup. The Blue Jays have a great lineup. The Dodgers lineup, eh. The pitching staffs, a dominant number one, B and C students, and a bullpen you don't know what to make of. We'll, we'll explore that more in detail later. The bottom line here is that a team in the Nogadi category is pretty fucking good, but has a problem, sometimes more than one. Next category, Altids. Altids being an acronym for at least they don't suck. Five teams in the Altids category, the Houston Astros, the Baltimore Orioles, the Boston Red Sox, the Cleveland Indians, and your Tampa Bay Rays. Now, you look at that group, and you go, shit, well, there's two teams in there, at least, that could be playoff teams. Right. They don't suck. But they have more flaws than a nogity. The Astros. Playoff team last year, stumbling out of the gate. I think they're feeling a lot of um, what I would like to call sophomore pressure. Last year, nobody expected anything of them, so there was no pressure. So far this year, they're not performing. They have too much talent. That's not going to last. Orioles are a team that can bomb the ball like nobody. They are going to hit 250 home runs, but their best starting pitcher is Chris Tillman. The Red Sox. Once again, the Red Sox are a hot mess. Uh, They signed David Price for a lot of money. He's the worst 4-0 pitcher I've ever seen. He's struggling. He's, He's really not in a rhythm. He's not putting together performances like he did last year or the last couple of years. Is it a Boston thing? Is it a location thing? Is it a head thing? Is he going to figure it out? I don't know. There's the whole Pablo Sandoval mess. I think they realized that they dumped $100 million in a very, very bad place. I think that uh, his shoulder injury might be, hmm, might be of the Dr. Nick variety for you Simpsons fans. I think you know what I mean by that. Indians. Everybody loves the Indians, except me. Again, here's a team with talent, but they're losing their talent to injuries. Carlos Carrasco, without him, I don't know what they do. I mean, yeah, they got Corey Kluber, but, you know, Corey Kluber, you notice he had that Cy Young year, and that is somewhat starting to stick out from the rest of his body of work. And then there's the Rays. Chris Archer looks like he's getting back into form. Chris Archer could be the best young pitcher in the American League. Evan Longoria is still a superstar. Some people want to put him on an overrated list. I personally would not. However, the Rays just have too many holes, 
to be anything other than an Alton. Because they don't suck, but I don't think they can go very far either. The next category, and this is probably the most interesting category on the list, because you would think that being in the fourth spot would mean that these are teams that just have absolutely no hope, and it's actually not. Let me show you, let me show you why. Here's the team's that are Whiffneys, and oh, by the way, a Whiffney is a Y weight for next year. A Y weight for next year team is a team that has a future, and that future, obviously, by the derivation of the meaning of the fucking word, the future is not now. The future is next year, year after, wherever. And, and there's a whole lot of reasons for that. Maybe you've got a lot of talent on the farm. Maybe you've got guys you need to deal the whole point of why wait for next year is exactly what it says. Why not start making your future happen right now? In this category, the New York Yankees, the Los Angeles Angels, the Detroit Tigers, the Philadelphia Phillies, the Oakland A's, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and lastly, the Minnesota Twins. Touched on the Yankees a little earlier in the gloom and despair segment. Cashman's right. Just hang up the all reasonable offers accepted sign and start dealing, guys. And that includes... Everybody. I mean, it, even if it's Starlin Castro, the guy you just signed, Didi Gregorius, your shortstop of the future, I think it's the pitchers people are going to want. After that, it's going to be Brent Gardner. I don't think you're going to have any luck moving the high contract guys. But you never know. Somebody might go rent a player at the trade deadline. You know, I, I can totally see the Mets looking for a bat. I can totally see the Giants looking for a bat. Dodgers could be looking for a bat. Anything's possible. The point is, if you're the Yankees, don't wait around for it. Los Angeles Angels, again. The Angels have a long tradition of spending a lot of money badly. Josh Hamilton, Gary Matthews Jr., the list goes on. And now all the pitchers that they spent money on are getting hurt. Jared Weaver, Jared Weaver's done. I mean, you can write your name on his fastball when it's going by you these days. C.J. Wilson, now Garrett Richards has to have Tommy John surgery. The Angels really got nothing left, and they have nothing in the farm system. That's why you see these rumors on the internet about trading Mike Trout. Now, while I don't think that that's going to happen, as an Angels fan, I'm also not completely opposed to the idea. And okay, here come the Angels fans, sharpening up their crayons, but you stop and think about it. Look at the Angels farm system right now. There's tumbleweeds blowing through it. You look at the major league team right now, and the guys that aren't in the hospital ain't very good. I mean, you got Albert Pujols, who is underperforming. You got Andleton Simmons, best shortstop in the game. Now, you can go down the list, but for the Angels, there's nothing happening this year, so why wait? Detroit Tigers. You got Miguel Cabrera. You have the what used to be Justin Verlander. Victor Martinez, he's never going to be Victor Martinez again. Philadelphia Phillies. I can't believe that I have the Philadelphia Phillies in this category, but I think the Phillies got a future. I love this Herrera kid they've got. He's going to be an interesting young ball player. The Phillies got a long way to go, and they're not going to be trading anybody that they have to move up. They're going to be growing their own talent for a while. When they get out from under the Ryan Howard thing, their future gets much, much brighter. Again, I don't think you'll get anybody to take Ryan Howard now. Oakland A's. I'm just going to come out and say it. The Oakland A's need to get rid of this money ball bullshit. 
Am I the only one who's noticed they've never won anything doing this? Get rid of Billy Bean, move on, do something else. This isn't working. Diamondbacks. Well, you know, AJ Pollock got hurt. Blah, 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 blah. I think the Diamondbacks have a lot of positive pieces. I think that they're not going to do anything this year. I think that they have to make they have to make an organizational decision as to what their future is going to be. They got to pick a philosophy and go with it. You know, are we going to be a pitching team? Are we going to be a hitting team? What are we going to be? Let's do it. Let's build a major league franchise around it. Let's build a farm system to support it. Right now, they're just kind of blowing in the wind, and they've been doing that ever since their World Series win with Schilling and Johnson. The last Whiffney on the list is the Minnesota Twins. Minnesota Twins are kind of an American League version of the Diamondbacks. They're really trying to figure out what the hell they're going to be. Right now, they're starting to look like the fetal Houston Astros in the sense that they look like they are working on a bunch of guys who are all going to hit 30 home runs and strike out 200 times. Last, and probably least, is a category I like to call MOBIDs. MOBID being an acronym for Might As Well Be Dead. This would be your Cincinnati Reds, your Miami Marlins, your Milwaukee Brewers, your Colorado Rockies, your Atlanta Braves, and your San Diego Padres. Earlier segment, we talked about teams that need to be relegated to a a minor league. Now, there's six of them right there. Let me just run through them real quick. The Reds. They're a triple-A team. Look at their roster. Joey Votto and Jay Bruce are probably the only two guys that belong in the majors, with the possible exception of Brandon Phillips. And I used to really like Brandon Phillips, but I think he's getting long in the tooth. The Marlins. Giancarlo Stanton, that's it. Jose Fernandez was was a bright, shining hope. Is that still there after the Tommy John surgery? Even if it is, those two guys are not going to be there long. I know the Marlins just signed Stanton to $300 million contract. They'll trade him. He'll be a Yankee in five years, you watch. The Brewers, just they're the Cincinnati Reds, just further north and blue. That's it. couple of good major league players, one possible superstar, and a lot of guys that should be in double-A. The Rockies. Now, the Rockies are kinkily interesting because they've got guys that can hit, and everybody says, well, but you do, that's because it's Colorado. Yeah, well, okay, fine. But if you can get two guys that can pitch in that ballpark, anything's possible. The problem is you can't get free agent pitchers to come to Colorado. Atlanta Braves. I watched the Braves the other night. They're they're terrible. The only bright spot they have is Freddie Freeman and Julio Terran. That's it. And I can totally see them trading one of those two guys, particularly Terran. Then there's your San Diego Padres. Best thing I can say about San Diego is it's got great weather. In the news, the rest of the story. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And so begins the Charles Dickens classic, A Tale of Two Cities. Now, in his case, he was talking about London and Paris. In this case, I'm talking about the Chicago Cubs and the Toronto Blue Jays. 
Why am I using an old English writer that we all hated because we got forced to read him in high school? Because while the British and the French don't want to admit the similarities that London and Paris share, I think there's a lot of baseball fans that don't want to admit that the Chicago Cubs and the Toronto Blue Jays are really mirror images of each other playing very different quality baseball at this very moment. Yeah, the Chicago Cubs, they're gorilla stopping everything in front of them right now. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays are struggling to figure it out. This means that the real Cub fan base is as excited as hell and is probably not going to like some things I'm going to say later in this segment. But it also means that the Chicago Cubs fan base is going to be inundated with the pink hats and the bandwagon crowd. Meanwhile, in Toronto... Their poor play to start the season is causing a problem. Everybody expected that the Toronto Blue Jays were going to do what the Chicago... This is a message from the Canadian National Public Alert System. This warning is for the greater Toronto metropolitan area. Cities included in this warning, Toronto, Oshawa, Markham, Richmond Hill, Vaughan, Brampton, and Mississauga. If you live in one of these areas, you are in imminent danger of being flooded by people jumping off of the Toronto Blue Jays bandwagon. Expect the levels of bandwagon jumpers to continue in heavy levels until the Blue Jays get over 500 or stop striking out in one of every three at-bats. Residents of these cities should begin moving to higher ground immediately. This warning is in effect until June 1st or until R.A. Dickey stops throwing meatballs. Repeating, the greater Toronto metropolitan area is under imminent threat of flooding from torrential levels of people jumping off the Toronto Blue Jays bandwagon. Stay tuned to this station for further information and instructions. This was a message from the Canadian National Public Alert System. We now return to our regular programming. Into that rotation. Roberto Osuna is going to lead that bullpen, and we are going to be flipping bats left and right. It's not happening. Having said all that, I am still of the opinion that the Cubs and the Blue Jays are the same team. If you doubt that, stop and consider the following. Both of their pitching staffs, built around a dominant number one guy, a couple of B and C students, and a bullpen that nobody really knows what to make of. Not an issue for the Cubs right now because, I mean, they're not in a lot of save situations because they're winning a lot of 10-3 ball games. But whenever John Gibbons is making a move with the, with the Blue Jays, you can tell he doesn't know what the hell he wants to do. Look at the lineups. The Cubs are weird because Anthony Rizzo's leading the league in RBIs and he's not even hitting 210. You look at their you look at their box scores, you'd think they were ripping the fucking cover off the ball. They're hitting in clutch spots. They go out, everybody gets their one hit in the same inning, so they rack up a crooked number of runs. And then they don't do much the rest of the ball game. But they don't have to because they're ahead 10 to 2. Exact opposite with the Blue Jays. Blue Jays striking out at an amazing rate, even in today's strikeout crazy game. 
literally 200 and, 230 strikeouts in 800 team at-bats. Those are round numbers. I, I don't have the exact figures written in front of me, but they're astounding. After having gone through all of that, why am I thinking to myself that these are mirror images of each other? Besides what I've just said, there's a little something in baseball about all things eventually revert to the mean. The Cubs' torrid pace isn't going to continue, and there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that we're heading into summer. This is where those games get hot. And this is where the travel starts to take its toll. And this is where the little bumps and bruises and shit start to add up. On top of that, the Cubs are going to find themselves in a schedule being less full of Reds and Brewers and Angels and being more full of Pirates and Cardinals. That Central Division is going to be just like the SEC in football. Those teams beat the shit out of each other all fall long. And that's what's going to happen in the summer in the Central. That's the advantage that the Blue Jays have. Because yes, all things are going to revert to the mean. However, it's a lot cooler in Toronto in the summertime than it is in Chicago. Toronto has a much shorter travel schedule than the Cubs do. Also, I don't think anybody in the East is going to figure out who the fuck they are in terms of competition for quite some time. The Red Sox... David Price, like I said, he might be the worst 4-0 pitcher I've ever seen. He is struggling. He he just, he's lost out there. He's getting it done, but he's not the David Price that uh, the Red Sox put $200 million into. There's the Orioles. Nice lineup. Again, they're going to hit Cubs-level home runs. Can't pitch. The Yankees. I've already said my piece on the Yankees in the gloom and despair segment. Part of me feels bad for Yankee fans, but (laughs) another part of me says no. There's the Devil Rays. Devil Rays, nice little team, couple of nice young little pitchers, couple of nice everyday players. More holes than Swiss cheese. They're not going to do much. I mean, they are the extreme example of a team that would need everything under the sun to go absolutely positively their way for them to make a charge. So that's why I think the Blue Jays have a bright future, despite the fact that the last five weeks for that team has been pretty rough. And now, before the Cubs fans, before you sharpen up your crayon to write me hate mail, let me tell you my biggest concern about the Cubs. I think the Blue Jays are largely the same team they have been since last year, and I like that team a lot. I think the Cubs are the same team that they were last year, And I like that team a lot too, but I had two big concerns with it going into last year's postseason. And that was, I don't trust the pitching rotation and the bullpen is shaky at best. And you didn't really do anything in Chicago to fix either one of those problems. Now that doesn't mean that they can't be fixed going forward in the season because there's going to be guys available at the trade deadline and or before. Like, if I'm the Cubs and Brian Cashman is serious about hanging out the uh, everybody-must-go sign, hey, I'm looking at one of those big three. You look at those three guys they got in the bullpen, and some of those guys can help Chicago right fucking now. But the problem that I've got 
is that I think that the Cubs think that they solved the starting pitching problem with John Lackey. I watch too much Angel Baseball. You'll never, ever, ever, ever convince me that John Lackey is anything other than a flash in the pan. He's he's one of those guys that's made a very nice major league career out of two or three key moments in his life that are not representative of the rest of his body of work. And I also don't understand giving him $30 million when for just a few extra bucks and a couple extra years you could have got Jeff Zamarja back. See, here's the analogy. If you're taking the SATs to get into college and you come across the question that says, you have starting pitching problems, your answer is blank. And listen to me, I'm talking like fucking Gene Rayburn here. If you fill in that blank with the words John Lackey, you're not going to Harvard. You're not going to NYU. You're not going to Northwestern. If you wrote in John Lackey, you're going to state school. And not good state school either. You're not going to UCLA. You're going to Fresno State. That's my problem. Now, If you go back to the segment where I was laying out the types of teams, the Cubs with John Lackey can still win. I'm not saying that they can't. What I'm saying is, if the answer to the question is John Lackey, I think that you fundamentally misunderstood the problem. Sharpen your crayons and send us your hate mail dubsism.wordpress.com that's why we have a comment section email us dubsism at yahoo.com twitter at dubsism facebook pinterest tumblr instagram we're everywhere d-u-b-s-i-s-m first page search result on google The popcorn you're eating has been pissed in. Film at 11. Now you know the rest of the story. If you have a problem with anything you heard on Radio J-Dub, feel free to contact our complaint department at 1-800-SUCK-A-DRINK. You do that, I'll kill you. Good night, until we meet again. You talking to me? You talking to me? Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.